I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Now, I'm not an artist, but I've been told that artists don't necessarily know what their picture, their artwork is going to look like when they first begin painting their picture. Well, I think you can make that comparison to what Bruce Pearl and Hugh Freeze are still doing regarding their rosters for the upcoming season. They have a general idea. They've begun painting the picture, but they don't know exactly what the end result is going to be. They hope it's going to be a masterpiece, but we don't know that yet. No one knows that, not even Bruce Pearl or Hugh Freeze. We're going to talk about the transfer portal for Auburn basketball and Auburn football. We're going to talk a little bit about Auburn baseball after dropping another series this past weekend. And yes, it came to Art Drive Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And then as our hot topic of the week, we're going to talk about something that I didn't get to talk about when Hugh Freeze was hired because of everything else that we needed to discuss. And that is the comparison of Hugh Freeze to Gus Malzahn. What do we make of that comparison? We'll talk about that, but let's start with Auburn basketball, we had big news last night. Janai Broom declared for the NBA draft while maintaining his college eligibility. The expectation is, and I've said this for a while, that I expected him and possibly even Jalen Williams to, to do this as well, to declare for the NBA draft while maintaining the, their eligibility. It took Janai longer, so I was wondering if he if he would even do this at all. But he is, the expectation is that he will return to Auburn next season. I fully expect that to be the case. I think Janai is a phenomenal player. Unfortunately for him, because of his size, a a 6'9", true 5, there's really not a place for them in the NBA. You've seen that with Oscar Shibway, who was the Naismith Player of the Year um, two years ago and, and then came back the next season, which is pretty much unheard of, but because of the type of player he was, he's 6'8", really, and, and plays the five, it's hard for for that to translate to the next level. Now, if Janai can continue to develop his handles, if he can play more of a stretch four moving forward, he'll probably still play the five for Auburn, but if he can develop some better skills and continue to improve his shot from the outside, which we saw last season there towards the end, then he has the chance to... to be drafted possibly. And yet he's a phenomenal collegiate player. He just doesn't translate to the NBA at this moment. So that's why I expect him to come back. And he's an important piece for Auburn, no doubt. They're expecting him to come back. If not, you would see them being a lot more aggressive in the transfer portal targeting a, a big man. Uh, that's not the case. And Janai Broom is uh, expected to come back, uh, barring something unforeseen occurring. Speaking of big men, let's talk about the other news that happened within the last week for Auburn basketball. That was Peyton Marshall in the class of 2024, about 7'1", nearly 300-pound big man decommitted from Auburn. Auburn is putting together a very, very solid class in 2024. Already had the number one player in the state of Alabama, Verge, fringe five-star and LeBaron Phylon committed, 6'4", combo guard. They've got a, a point guard out of New Jersey in Tahad Pettiford, a five-star point guard at that, that is uh, committed to Auburn in this class of 2024. 
Peyton Marshall was actually the first guy to start this class for Auburn in 2024. But if you remember, two weeks ago, I talked about Bruce Pearl's comments at the Final Four. I, I talked, he, he, he discussed not necessarily wanting to bring in high schoolers anymore that weren't guys who could immediately contribute. Peyton Marshall more than likely would not have immediately contributed in year one to Auburn. And because of the likelihood of him transferring out if he didn't get the minutes that he wanted in his freshman year, like we saw with Joe Treor and Chance Westry, well, I think Bruce Pearl didn't want to run that risk again. So if, if you're catching my drift, this was a mutual parting of ways here with Peyton Marshall. Peyton Marshall is a, a, everything I've read in his interviews, very, very humble, a great, a great kid. Um, but Auburn felt it was best to, best to part ways. And there's another caveat here as well. Auburn is in a really good spot for the number two player in the country in the class of 2024, Flory Bedunga, who is a five-star center, uh, and Peyton Marshall also a center. So that, that also plays a role in there. I'm not saying Auburn's going to land him. Every school in the country wants him. But Auburn seems to be feeling like they're in a good position at the moment for uh, Flory there. So something to keep an eye on moving forward. So those were the two big storylines that happened since we were last on air regarding Auburn basketball. Things are ever-changing with the transfer portal and recruiting in both basketball and football. And so the transfer portal continues to roll on for Auburn. There are possibly some new names that have begun to pop up. I, I don't really want to get into those this week. Um, possibly next week if, if it looks like those are for sure targets of Auburn. But things can move fast. So this a new name may pop up today and they could be committed uh, by the time I'm back on air uh, next week. That's how fast things can move in the portal. I also believe Auburn is close on, a, on hiring a new assistant. Uh, we'll see if that news does end up coming out this week uh, to replace Wes Flanagan, who went on to Ole Miss to join that staff there. But talking about the transfer portal, the only person we're really still waiting on that's currently on the roster, I mentioned Jalen Williams may do something similar to Janai Broom. He is expected back. Alan Flanagan, we still haven't heard anything from him. The expectation, as I've said on here, is that he will not be back. Of course, his dad just left to go to Ole Miss. I didn't expect him back before that occurred. I figured that he, his time at Auburn was done, that he would move on to the professionals, try to go to the NBA, what have you. But we still haven't heard anything official from Alan Flanagan at this moment, but I do not expect him to be back. But let's talk about some uh, Auburn targets in the transfer portal. So Auburn had Ben Middlebrooks on a visit this past Sunday. He was a 6'10 forward slash center transfer from Clemson. Auburn really kind of wanted to bring him in as a depth piece, as someone to kind of replace Stretch, Akimbola, someone who could provide some scout team minutes, possibly develop and, and provide you a few minutes as a backup, as a backup four or backup five. However, and Auburn was honest with Ben Millbrooks, and I think Auburn staff deserves a lot of credit for being honest with him. But because of that honesty, Ben Middlebrooks chose to transfer to NC State, where he will have the chance to be a bigger contributor. Certainly understand that uh, on his part, not going to be guaranteed minutes at Auburn 
he'll have a much better chance of starting at North Carolina State. So fully understand that decision, but that is a target that is off the board for Auburn. Another target off the board for Auburn was uh, Quincy Oliveri. He committed to it. Xavier, he was a hot name, a very good guard transfer from Rice. I I thought Auburn was in pursuit of him for a while. But they decided that once they took Denver Jones, the two were too similar of players. And with Katie Johnson now expected to come back for Auburn, that they really did not need uh, Quincy Oliveri here. He's a very good player. So Auburn backed off there. He ended up committing to Xavier. So that was not a, a sense of Auburn got beat for that target. They chose to uh, not pursue him anymore there. Uh, so that target, though, is off the board. Another one that seems to be trending off the board is Cario Aquindo, the transfer guard from Georgia. I thought Auburn may like him as possibly a wing, uh, but I think there could be some issues he's transferred before. So with NCAA at least saying that they're going to crack down some on these double transfers, there may be some issues as far as eligibility goes uh, for Oquindo. So I don't think Auburn is going to continue to pursue uh, him at, at this moment. But not to stay all uh, gloom and doom here, Auburn is having one of the top players in all of Division II last season, the number 21st overall transfer, I think, according to either 24-7 Sports or Own 3 Sports. Chaney Johnson out of University of Alabama Huntsville was the Gulf South Conference Player of the Year. He's going to visit on Thursday. He averaged 16 points per game last season, 6.6 rebounds per game and shot 37% from three. He's a 6'7 forward, could play the three. I think Auburn likes him more as a backup four, but very much uh, I think Auburn sits in a good position here, especially I think he's the first visit. That that tells you a lot uh, of his thoughts on Auburn. This is just me speculating, but I would not be surprised if he had a good visit on Thursday if he were to commit pretty quickly after, after that visit. Auburn was impressed with him. If you remember, Auburn played – University of Alabama Huntsville in a scrimmage game before the season started back in the fall. I think he had 14 points in that game, competed very well against Jalen Williams. As I mentioned, expected to be back as that starting four. So this is someone who could more than likely will come off the bench but could provide really good minutes for you. That would be the only question mark. And for Chaney Johnston, if Auburn were to not be able to land him, if they're not able to guarantee him a starting spot, which they're not going to do. But I think Auburn can still get him. I really do. And he's someone who has multiple years of eligibility left, so he's someone that you could have for at least another season possibly on the Plains. Uh, and then he could become starting four after Jalen Williams departs. And who knows? Maybe he beats Jalen Williams out in his fifth year. And so I think if he does in fact come through on this visit on Thursday, as expected, and things go well, I, I like Auburn here. The biggest question mark, though, remains the three position for Auburn. What is that going to look like? This is a huge need. Auburn absolutely needs to at least stay on par, but arguably upgrade. They've upgraded the two position in my mind. The one position still a question mark. Will that upgrade? Will that not? We're not going to know that answer for a while. The two position, I believe, is upgraded with Denver Jones. If Auburn can upgrade the three 
and bring back the five with Janai and bring back the four with Jalen, you've got a team who can compete for the SEC championship next season. So Auburn, know, they know the importance of landing a really good transfer three. But they're also being patient, it seems, with targets. And as for fans, that can make us nervous. What we have to understand is we don't know everything. They're, 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 uh, I, I am not in, insinuating, but I am uh, uh, tampering uh, or, or, or discussing with players who are currently on other rosters at other schools. But yes, that, that, that occurs. We know that occurs. It doesn't just occur from Auburn's side. It occurs everywhere. So we know that that is taking place. That's why you see, well, there's a pretty good three in the portal, but Auburn's not really, really pushing for them. Why is that? Yeah, it's a risk. It is a risk. There, there's no denying that because that player that you're trying to tamper with and work with may, may end up in, in the end staying at the, at the school he's at. But is it a risk you're, you're willing to take? I think you have to have a level of confidence if you're not pushing for someone who is pretty solid because of confidence that you may get someone who's not currently in the portal uh, at Auburn eventually. But Auburn's slow playing this three position. And again, because it's such an important position, it makes us as fans nervous. But I think the staff is confident that they'll be able to land a really good player here. But Matthew Cleveland is a target. But he is, I preface that because he is one that I feel like, just from my take, that Auburn may be slow playing a little bit. Which means that Auburn probably will not land Matthew Cleveland unless something changes. Because he's got other schools that are after him, I think, harder and a lot of times these guys aren't really patient in the portal, and I understand that. They want to go ahead and, and find their next school, and so if Auburn is recruiting him but not recruiting him extremely hard at the moment, I think he'll more than likely land elsewhere. But he is a very good player. I like him a lot. If Auburn does push for him and lands him, I would be very, very excited. He would be a very good player at the three. He averaged 14 points per game last season. He's 6'7 wing, um, but again, Auburn may believe there there are better options out there, and then and then finally, to just address one other player, Devin Cambridge is Devin Cambridge returning to Auburn? Bounce man back in the house. I it's possible, but I think it's going to be another one of those. Let's wait and see. We we've got bigger targets out there. If we have a scholarship left open in the end, then then we'll we'll see about bringing bringing you back. And would Devin Cambridge want to come back in a role-player role uh, next season for Auburn? That I also don't know. So if he does come back, I wouldn't expect it to be in a major role. So if Auburn fans are out there freaking out a little bit about the about Devin Cambridge returning to the Plains, if he does, it would be in a backup role, and um, it would not be in a big-time contributor role. At least that's not what I expect. However, I don't think that Auburn – is big time pushing for him. I do think maybe he's supposed to visit this week, this weekend. Haven't heard much on that, uh, but but we'll see. Again, I, personally, I would love to have Devin Cambridge back if there is a scholarship available uh, that that could be used for him. But he should not be a priority target. And if he's seeking to be a main contributor, then he probably will not return to the Plains. But I needed needed to address that on on Devin Cambridge. But with that, we will head to our first break here, and when we return, we'll dive in to Auburn baseball. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors. Ad Council. Welcome back to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Auburn baseball, 10-run ruled Sanford last night. That was good to try to get some momentum as they 
will host Mississippi State this weekend. But before we discuss that, let's look back at yet another series loss for Auburn baseball in what seemed to be a promising series after Game 1 that Auburn won 8-4. to Tommy Bell had an outstanding outing, uh, probably his best of the season. He threw... 6.2 innings pitch, only gave up two hits, had four walks, but spaced them out so they did not become an issue. Uh, Tanner Bauman came in in relief, did um, did not do well in the ninth, ended up giving giving up four earned runs in the ninth, or else it would have been a shutout. Uh, so it got Auburn fans a little bit nervous. Actually, Alabama brought the tying run up to the plate in the bottom of the ninth. They had bases loaded when it was 8-4. to four. So the pitching was good for all but the the last inning in Game 1. So Auburn won that one, and you're feeling good. Like, oh, you take Game 1, especially on the road, and then you just have to grab one more. But Auburn was unable to do that, unfortunately. They would drop Game 2, 4-2. Drew Nelson did not have a great start. He only threw one inning, gave up three runs. But the rest of the bullpen really picked up slack. John Armstrong threw two innings. Tommy Sheehan recorded an out. Parker Carlson, Zach Crotchfelt, all those guys threw and threw well. But Auburn's bats that have been so good all year were only able to manage six hits uh, in this game, were not able to to amount many runs uh, in this one. And they dropped that one, like I said, 4-2. to two. But, but then you go to Sunday. Still got a chance to take the series on Sunday. But Auburn lost that one 6-1. to one. It was a pretty solid start, I thought, from Christian Herbert Holtz. He threw four innings, only gave up two runs. But again, the offense just wasn't enough. And it's so funny how that works because because the last two weeks I've hammered this uh, Auburn pitching staff and, and fussed about their inability to throw strikes and so forth and so on, giving up way too many runs. And they still walked more batters than, than, than you need to. But I can't complain about giving up, let's see, if I can do some quick math here, what, 14 runs total in the series? I can't complain about that with this pitching staff after how rough of a season it has been for them. But hitting didn't deliver, and unfortunately that's how sports goes sometimes. You, you finally, the thing you do well, you finally don't do well in one series, and the thing you haven't been doing well, you finally do well, and they don't match up. What what you need to happen is you're hitting to continue to be good, and then you're pitching to finally hit one weekend. Well, the offense decided to have an off weekend when the pitching decided to have an on weekend, and therefore you end up losing a pivotal series. Auburn and Alabama were tied in the SEC West in conference standings. Now they are not, obviously. Bama takes the lead on them. It was an important series for that. It was an important series for NCAA regional and tournament uh, hopes that this Auburn baseball team has. Um, They're not over with, not by any stretch. Auburn still has the chance to be in an NCAA regional, but they've got to play better down the stretch. They, They absolutely have to. Hosting is probably out of the picture now, barring some unforeseen incredible run to close out this season, but they can still find themselves in a regional and give themselves a chance at the postseason. Look, we still don't know what the future holds for Joseph Gonzalez and whether he'll be able to come back and pitch this season, late in the season. If he could just come back at all, that would be beneficial 
but Auburn's got to get the bats back back going. They did last night against Samford. They need to carry that into this weekend against Mississippi State. They host Mississippi host missing Mississippi State this weekend, who is 22 and 15. They're 5 and 10 in SEC play. Who else is 5 and 10 in SEC play? That's Auburn. So this is another pivotal series for the standings and for the postseason for Auburn. This is a series they cannot lose. I mentioned it against A&M two weekends ago when they hosted them, that it was a series they didn't need to lose. This is another one. Auburn's coming off, what, three straight, is it, series losses? Uh, they absolutely have to get a series win this weekend. Mississippi State's a very similar team to Auburn. They're coming off a series win against Ole Miss, but they're a team that has struggled pitching mightily this season. I mentioned that it wasn't just Auburn last week that has struggled with throwing strikes. Mississippi State is one of those teams. So, can Auburn get this offense back going? I think last night should be a good sign for the Tigers. Really, uh, Ike Irish had a tough series. Uh, I don't mean to just single him out, but he did have a tough series last night. I mean, last weekend against Alabama. But last night, he went 3-for-5. Bobby Pierce went 3-for-5. Cole Foster went 3-for-4. Bryson Ware went 2-for-4. It's, you can't expect that in every game, but you, you need to see that uh, from this Auburn team. The top of the order really has to deliver. Uh, Zach Crotchfeld threw an inning last night. Uh, Hayden Murphy threw uh, three innings last night, uh, gave up three three runs. Uh, everyone else, Drew Nelson threw a little bit. Parker Carlson, John Armstrong. So some of your weekend arms, I don't know what the weekend rotation is going to look like this weekend for Auburn. Does Drew Nelson get the start again? I think it's pretty obvious that Tommy Vell is going to start uh, this weekend. Does Tommy Sheehan get a chance to jump back into that rotation? Maybe Zach Crotchfeld. Maybe he jumps back in there. Uh, will Auburn go back to starting a reliever? They went back to the traditional starting your starters and because they wanted to have the relievers available in every game. I think that proved beneficial this past weekend. I do. I think, but I think you can point to the fact that you only give up 14 runs in, as in the whole series, that the the philosophy, the pitching, pitching philosophy probably worked this past weekend for Butch Thompson. So I'd look for them to continue that. But again, got to get the hitting back going. If they do that, I think they'll win the series against Mississippi State. This is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. And then they have to travel to South Carolina next weekend, who is one of the best teams in the SEC. So that is just another reason this is a pivotal pivotal series for Auburn baseball this weekend. So hopefully they can get things situated and get a big win, a big series win this weekend. With that being said, that was a short segment, but I've got a lot, a lot to talk about regarding Auburn football. So I'm going to go ahead and send us to break a little bit early and then we'll come back in and we'll dive in and have a long extended segment diving in to Auburn football. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. If you are on Weagle 91.1, the transfer portal in college football is now open. It is open until April 30th. It opened on April 15th. So far, talking about departures first, in this new um, window, there's only been two departures from Auburn. I still expect there will probably be more, 
but I am surprised that there's only been two so far, that being Jeffrey Emba and Tavares Dawson. I'll start with Jeffrey Emba. This one is the one that's disappointing to me. I, I, it's disappointing because, one, I really like Jeffrey Emba. He's a happy guy, and it was a little bit surprising because he was so positive in all his interviews, and I think he legitimately meant it, I, but I also think he's just genuinely a happy guy and a pretty upbeat guy, so yeah, I don't think it was a fake uh, attitude or persona that he was putting on for the media. I think he was genuinely happy, but he obviously just feels feels like there there's going to be a better school out there for him. He, he seemed like he was on the verge of transferring out before the spring, so I guess in uh, thinking about that, it shouldn't be a surprise that he ended up deciding to transfer out. But it's also disappointing in the sense that I really liked his potential. Again, he was a number the number one JUCO player in the country, one of the biggest recruiting wins, I guess, for, for Brian Harson. and But he was extremely raw, so he didn't get to play much last season. But you, you were hoping that eventually that potential could be could be untapped and he, he would eventually just become a star. I don't know that that would have happened this season, but he would have been a contributor finally. He would have played this season as a backup, and that's probably the reason he transferred because he knew he wasn't going to be a starter, if, if I'm um, guessing. But nonetheless, I hate that, that he is leaving because of those reasons. I would have, would have liked to have seen what he would have looked like. He moved to defensive end. Uh, from the interior, so what would that going to look like on the outside? Um, those are answers that, unfortunately, we'll, we'll never get, uh, at least not at Auburn. We'll see what another school might might do with him. I'm sure he'll land somewhere pretty pretty solid. Uh, it came down to Auburn and Missouri and Tennessee, I believe, uh, in his final three back when Auburn landed him. So does he go to Missouri? Does he go to Tennessee? Uh, does he go elsewhere? I, I, I really don't know, uh, but that's not of our concern anymore as he is moving on from uh, Auburn. But again, this was this this one hurt because Auburn needs every all the depth that they can get along the defensive line. He was someone who was going to provide that depth there, so it does sting uh, because of that. You you needed that depth piece, even if he wasn't going to be a huge contributor, which he may have not been. You still need bodies, and you still need talented bodies. So I know that Auburn didn't want to lose him. Um, but it's also not the end-all, be-all, as it is with, with any transfer. Now, to Tavares Dawson, he was an interesting one, four, former four-star receiver for Auburn. He ended up getting to start, if you remember, early in the season last year, but then Javaris Johnson kind of came back on the scene and was the receiver that we thought he he was and could be, and Tavares Dawson kind of fell behind back behind him because they played the same position in uh last year's offense so he really didn't have a big time role for Auburn it didn't look like he was going to have a big time role this season either the wide receiver room isn't over isn't very good uh, if we're being honest for Auburn there's talent in that room and Tavares Dawson is someone with talent but he really wasn't separating himself from the pack kind of got caught up uh, with the rest and again I'm not trying to knock these guys but like I said he's a talented receiver and that doesn't mean that he won't go somewhere else and succeed. But for Auburn, I don't think it is a, a huge loss because I, I don't think he was looking at playing a lot of meaningful snaps this season, the way things were shaking out. So therefore, he entered the transfer portal. Right now, those were the only two new people to enter the transfer portal for Auburn. Out of those two, I definitely will say Emma, it's a bigger loss 
than Tavares Dawson, despite the D-line room probably being stronger than the wide receiver room. I just didn't see Tavares Dawson as a big of a contributor as I think Jeffrey Emba would have been. But where is Auburn looking in the transfer portal? We just, I discussed this a little bit last last week on, on the show, but let's let's talk about it a little bit more. So I I think Auburn, besides quarterback, let's just we'll, we'll just put that there. I'll talk more about that in a second. Besides quarterback, where else is Auburn looking to add? I think they are looking to add another defensive back. The secondary for Auburn should be outstanding. There's a lot of depth at safety. There's not a lot of depth at defensive back. You've got Nehemiah Pritchett, you've got uh, DJ James, you've got J.D. Grimm, who was banged up this spring, and you've got Kay and Lee. That's it. Now, Jalen Simpson has been a defensive back for most of his career before switching to safety last season. So, yes, he could possibly move back to defensive back in an emergency situation. Again, that's a very good DB room, especially with Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James and Kay and Lee, the way that he has come onto the scene. But you, you – SEC's grueling. You've got to have depth because injuries are going to happen. Hope that they don't, knock on wood, but more than likely that they will. So you've got to add some depth there at defensive back. So I think Auburn will look to add at least one more DB here uh, before uh, the fall. Defensive line, I think they got to add a little bit more depth. Even before Jeffrey Emba jumped into the portal, I think Auburn was still looking at one, maybe two more defensive linemen uh, out there to try to Try to add some depth. Again, Jeremy Garrett has talked about the wanting to be able to play multiple uh, different, multiple different, uh, up to nine, I think he said nine or ten guys along the defensive line. I'm counting right now. So you've got Messiah and Silkite. He's someone who absolutely contributed. That's one. Marcus Harris will probably start. Um, Messiah and Silkite had a really good spring, just getting off topic here a little bit. He is someone who could start. That's two there. Uh, Zekevious Walker probably can roll in. That's three. Lawrence Johnson, that's four. Um, Justin Rogers absolutely will play. That's five. Jason Jones, that's six. But again, that's six defensive linemen that's not inc- that I think can play. That's not including your um, edge guys like Keldrick Falk and uh, Elijah McAllister. So that's why I think Auburn's going to be looking to add a few more defensive linemen in here because that is just thin. You've got Wilkie Denal, the, the uh, true freshman early enrollee, but I think it may be a little bit of a push to have him as a contributor this season. So those are the reasons I think Auburn, and they really want to have the true depth that they want to have along the defensive line, that they'll be looking to add another one or two guys uh, in the portal for the defensive line. At receiver, receiver is not as much as you don't have the bodies. It's that the bodies aren't as good as you'd like for them to be. Auburn added a receiver in Nick Mardner back uh, in the previous transfer portal window. They would like to add another one. I don't think they'll just add one to add one, though. So if there's not a receiver that's really good enough in the portal that's not going to help elevate this room, I don't think they'll add one. But I think they would certainly like to add a receiver, if possible, if one is good enough, uh, to try to elevate this room. So we'll see. Again, this is a position that they like to. It's not a necessity, uh, if you will, to add someone at this position. Then offensive line. I really like where the offensive line sits, and I think this staff does too. It seems to be much improved, but that doesn't mean, just like defensive line, injuries happen, and this is still a very thin depth chart for Auburn along the offensive line. So if they can add another 
guard, I think, specifically is what they're looking for here uh, to to bolster this room and maybe even be a starter this upcoming season. It's not going to be easy to beat Jeremiah Wright out uh, or even um, uh, Tate Johnson, for that matter. But if, if they feel like they can elevate this room, I do think that they will uh, look. I think they've already offered a offensive lineman that was a uh, transfer from Tulsa. Yes, we already have a former Tulsa offensive lineman, Dylan Wade, on, on the roster. Certainly could be helpful. Certainly could be helpful in, in this case as well that Philip Montgomery was the former head coach at Tulsa. So one could argue maybe Auburn leads for that that Tulsa offensive lineman who just jumped into the, the portal there. So we'll see if Auburn's able to land an offensive lineman. But I think those are the kind of key positions uh, that Auburn is focusing on besides Jack linebacker and quarterback. Uh, obviously, Auburn is looking there, but those are just some of the other positions that they're looking at. And then there could be a, a player out of position that you don't necessarily, that you're not necessarily looking for, but they're a player that you just can't turn down. They're that good. They can really elevate whatever room that is, whatever position that is. There could always be someone like that. But with all that being said, the transfer portal been a little quiet right now, uh, a lot quieter than quieter than I anticipated from both Auburn's end as far as entering, guys leaving, and guys possibly coming in. So I, I'm surprised by that. However, I do believe that if there's a positive to NIL, I think it is this. I think that universities are doing a better job of increasing their NIL deals for their current players on on the roster, and so therefore less guys may be transferring out than we may have expected. And this goes to a broader point. This is why Hugh Freeze has talked about not wanting to depend on the transfer portal. This year he has no choice, and even next year he's going to be limited, and and he's going to have to depend on it again next season. But you want to be able to use the transfer portal as spots. You want to base your roster on high school recruiting. Basketball is a different story. Don't 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 use this same argument for basketball. But for football, you want to build it through the high school ranks and then fill a few needs here and there with the transfer portal. Some teams, some universities don't have that option. You think of Ole Miss, think of Michigan State, some of these smaller schools. They have to build through the transfer portal. But this is why you don't want to, because when got and many guys uh, enter or the level of guys entering aren't what you really expect, well, then you're in a little bit of, of trouble because you're depending on the transfer portal for a linebacker. You're depending on the transfer portal for a quarterback. You're depending on the transfer portal for an edge rusher. The problem is there may be some of those guys out there, but they're not elite. They're not better than what you have. So the, the level is not only the lack of entries, and so far in the springs, there wasn't a lack of entries in, in the previous uh, portal cycle, but there's been a lack of elite talent in the portal. And I'm not complaining about that. I think that's an awesome thing. I think the less people in the portal is a good thing for the sport overall. As an Auburn fan right now, though, I'm, I, I'm hoping that there will be some bigger names, some better players that do enter the portal because I want Auburn to be as competitive as it can be. But that's the risk you run. So Auburn may not be able to add uh, a really good edge defender. I tend to believe they won't be able to because those edge defenders and quarterbacks are at a premium, and if you've got a good one on your roster, they're they're getting paid well through 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 NIL. And so that's why I don't think you're seeing a lot of talented edge rushers 
uh, come in the portal. That doesn't mean Auburn still won't add one, but they may not be a huge difference maker. They may just provide depth, which is better than nothing, but it's not necessarily what you're looking for. So, so that just, again, that just goes to a broader point uh, of why you don't want to depend on the transfer portal because, again, things are slow right now. And, yes, Auburn wants another D lineman or two. Yes, Auburn wants another receiver, another offensive lineman. But right now, there really haven't been any stud receivers that have entered. Been a couple that you could argue, but not any that Auburn seems to have interest in. They have offered a defensive back. They have offered, as I mentioned, offensive linemen. But what about quarterback? I stand by my prediction, but but I'd be lying to you if I wasn't if I wasn't a little bit nervous. It is April nineteenth. Again, the portal opened on April fifteenth. It closes on April thirtieth. But at the moment. There isn't a quarterback in the portal that that is a difference maker for Auburn. So that so I'm a little concerned. I am. I'll be honest. I'm standing by my prediction. I'm not changing it. I still believe there's going to be someone. I don't know who it is that will enter the portal that Auburn will be able to get. But right now, that hasn't been the case. It also points back to schools helping keep their quarterbacks by by. Uh, upping the NIL for them that that are currently there so they don't transfer out, especially at smaller schools. So will we, will we see? That's why you don't want to have to defend on the transfer portal for AQB. We'll see what happens here. Again, I stand by my prediction, but I am a little bit nervous the fact there really hasn't been any big-name QB enter the portal. And if there is, there's going to be more schools than Auburn that go after them. But I'd be naive to say that not not just Auburn, but other schools aren't working under the table with some guys out there uh, trying to work on them a little bit. Uh, again, n- not in any way would I insinuate that anyone is tampering uh, with other players on other rosters. Um, but uh, I-, I know that I'm sure that Auburn is working behind the scenes to to land a transfer quarterback, if at all possible. But again, they may decide to stay at the university that they are at. An important note is, and I, I was did not quite understand this one and, and forgotten this rule, I guess, a better way to put that. You cannot transfer interconference in the SEC. So a, a Brock Vandegrift, who looks like he's going to lose the job to Carson Beck at Georgia, and looks like he's going to enter the portal, he can come to Auburn, but he can't play this season um, if, if that were to occur. So any quarterback that enters from the SEC that is transferring Sorry, they can't come and play immediately. Uh, it's too late. It's past that time period for them. So if Auburn is to grab a quarterback, it'll be from Group of Five or another conference. I thought that was an important note uh, to make. This isn't necessarily the last chance. You can still have guys that could come in after the summer in the transfer portal, uh, but this might be this might be the last chance that Auburn has to grab a quarterback. So we'll see. Will we have an answer in a week? will be yet uh, a step closer in, in seven days to uh, the ending of the, the transfer portal being open. Remember, April 30th is the date that you have to enter. It's not a date for someone to have decided where they're going to transfer to. But we'll see. That's the latest on the quarterback. I'm sorry if that doesn't uh, inspire you. But that's just kind of where I'm at on that position. But who knows? Any minute now, a top QB could enter the portal that looks like, that looks like they're going to head to Auburn. We just don't know how how things can play out here uh, for for the Tigers. 
With that, Royal will head to our final break. When we return, we'll get to our hot topic of the week. Stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen. Malzahn and Hugh Freeze are good friends. And Malzahn has been asked multiple times to, to share thoughts on his buddy getting the job at Auburn. But first, let me just say this about Gus Malzahn. Again, I've only been doing this show for a year. Gus Malzahn has not been the Auburn coach in multiple years. We've had a coach in between Gus Malzahn and Hugh Freeze, a coach not to be named on today's show. But I, I really like Gus Malzahn. I am so thankful that he was the coach uh, at Auburn for a good bit of my childhood fandom uh, of Auburn. He, uh, What he accomplished in 2013 is quite remarkable. The way that he changed college football, the way that he changed the SEC, uh, knocking off Nick Saban multiple times, uh, winning the SEC, making it to the SEC championship. Again, he accomplished a lot at Auburn. He brought a lot of wins and a lot of success to Auburn, and he represented the university, I believe, in a very, very honorable way. And to that, I think Auburn should always be appreciative of him for. And he played a big role before he was head coach in helping land Cam Newton and to ultimately uh, help Auburn win a national championship. So Auburn is forever indebted to Gus Malzahn. But with all that being said, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I didn't support moving on from Gus Malzahn in uh, 2020 after the 2020 season. In retrospect, should have moved on to someone different. But again, not going to not gonna name any names. The reason, and I, you know, I don't have to tell you this, but the reason that I was for moving on from Gus Malzahn was because I wanted Auburn to take the next step as a program. And I thought that Gus Malzahn had kind of plateaued uh, per, uh, personally. I, I thought that he had kind of reached what was going to be his pinnacle. And I, I thought that Auburn needed to move on even if it meant taking a step back, to take a leap forward. You saw Georgia do it, and that was kind of my comparison. Georgia did it with Mark Rick. Mark Rick was a good coach. He he kept Georgia competitive every year, had a lot of double-digit win seasons, but he couldn't reach the pinnacle. And I felt like Auburn can and could, and so that's why I wanted to move on from Gus Malzahn. Nothing to do with him. I still respect him, still think he's a very good coach. Ultimately, Auburn made the wrong decision on who was going to be the guy to take him and lead him uh, to that next next level because Auburn didn't get anywhere close. In fact, they went backwards. But that was the reason I wanted to move on from Gus Malzahn. That, and the reason he had plateaued, the reason I believed he had plateaued as a coach at Auburn is because the game had evolved. Gus Malzahn changed the game. There's no denying that. His no-huddle, up-tempo offense had absolutely changed the game of college football. The problem is the game kept evolving, and it eventually evolved past him in his offensive system. We, we had this, this, this new uh, uh, dynamic passing attack that came with the no-huddle, uh, and Gus Malzahn just refused to keep changing with the game. You changed the game, and you evolved, but then you refused to keep evolving. The game doesn't stop for you. It didn't stop just because you changed it. It continued to change itself, and it moved past him, in my opinion, offensively. His offense got too bland. De- defense has figured out how to defend it. Uh, it was too simple, too simplistic. Passing game was way too simple. Even the running game, you could argue, was too simple. And when, you got, when you're going against teams with players that are 
just as talented or even better than you. You've got to have a little bit more of a complicated scheme. You've got to have the ability to air things out more offensively. And so that is why I, I believe that it was time for Auburn to move on and why he had kind of plateaued there on the planes. With that being said, there have been a lot of comparisons of Gus Malzahn to Hugh Freeze. And I get it, both being offensive coaches, both being uh, from similar backgrounds, being friends for that matter. As I mentioned, I, I understand the comparisons, but I don't necessarily think they're fair. I think they're different. Yes, there are some similarities. They both run spread offense. You'll see some similarities as far as your run game goes. However, Hugh Freeze has a much more dynamic passing attack than Gus Malzahn had, and then you mix that with Philip Montgomery, and that negates everything uh, of any comparison, really, to Gus Malzahn offensively. My only concern, as far as comparisons go, would be play calling. Hugh Freeze is supposedly giving up play calling for the most part. He has said that he may situationally call some plays, like on third down. That's my concern. We we saw the back and forth with Gus Malzahn calling plays, not calling plays, calling plays, not calling plays. I worry about that being the story again with Hugh Freeze, especially if things go poorly. We see how difficult it is for head coaches to give up play calling. Not just Gus Malzahn. We've seen it at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. And I understand that. That is what you have built your career on if you're an offensive head coach, is, is calling plays. But sometimes you need to take that step back and be that CEO. And Hugh Freeze, I think, understands that. But I, I, do, I do fear that if things don't go super well offensively this season for Auburn, if they struggle any offensively, will Hugh Freeze want to jump back in there and want to take back over calling plays? And then you start getting this, this controversy again. He's the head coach. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do. But he's also got has to deal with the consequences of those actions. So that that is my only concern as far as comparisons go. I think they are their schemes are different. I do think they are different coaches in the way that they go about things. They're both good men. They're both good coaches. Um, but there are there are some some differences there uh, for uh, Hugh Freeze and uh, Gus Malzahn. So I I don't buy into the to the comparisons. I understand the comparisons on records. But you got to remember the resources that you have at Ole Miss versus the resources you have at Auburn. So comparing the records, I, I don't think is a fair um, way to go about looking at Gus Malzahn and Hugh Freeze. But to close out, I just want to say this uh, about Gus Malzahn. He has said not he has not said anything negative about Auburn since he has left. He's been extremely positive. He's been interviewed multiple times discussing. Hugh Freeze, and he's talked about how happy he is that Hugh Freeze is, is at Auburn and that he believes he will succeed, even offering recruiting advice to Hugh Freeze about high school coaches and high schools that he needs to make sure that he's well-connected in. And this is someone who could still be recruiting against Hugh Freeze. UCF can still recruit the state of Alabama. They're now a Power 5 team in the Big 12. So I, I think that's admirable, and I think it goes to show the type of man that Gus Malzahn is. And so I believe that that once he does retire one day, that he'll, he'll probably make his way back up to Auburn like plenty of former Auburn head coaches have done, whether that's living on the lake or living right here in Auburn, Alabama. So with that, we'll close the show for today. I thank you all for tuning in and listening. 
sad news, we've only got one more show as the semester is winding down. Next week is the last week of classes. We won't have a show during final exam week. So next week is my last show uh, for the semester. It won't be the last show of Talking Tumors. We will be back, and I'll talk more about our future plans, excuse me, future plans of the show moving forward for the summer and, and, and next fall. But just giving you the heads up that next week will be our last live show of the semester. So make sure you are tuned in to Talking Tumors next Wednesday at 10. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.